0: Hey there, this is Jessica Stewart, and you are listening to Finding Your Calm With Your Teenager, episode number 26. Anyone out there struggle to remain calm when dealing with your teenager? It's certainly been something that I have struggled with in my parenting journey, so that's what I'm here to help you with this podcast will give you really practical advice and tips to remain calm when dealing with your teenager, because I truly believe if you can remain calm when doing this, you can remain calm in pretty much any situation. So listen in and enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. I have something to offer you. And that is a video that I have made to help if you've ever lost it on your teenager. And I made this video because I think this is something that we all struggle with as parents or caregivers of teenagers. We all struggle with it as parents or caregivers of children of any age, really. And I made the video to explain why we do this, what to do if it's happened to you, and just to give you some support with this situation and release the shame and blame of it all. And I hope that you find it so helpful. So how do you get it? If you go to the show notes of the podcast and click the link that says grab your free video here. It will take you to a page to sign up and the the video will be delivered straight to your inbox. So I hope you enjoy it and have a great day. Hey there and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to talk about today's topic. I'm talking about connection, which is, if you don't know, the first pillar in the acronym CALM, because I believe it is so important. Not necess- it is, well, I don't know if I would say it's not necessarily as important as the other ones. I think all of the, the things in CALM, so connection, acceptance, love, and managing emotions are super important, but I'm going to go through in this episode, really ways to think about connection and also 10 ways to improve connection with your teenager. And so these are just a micro mini cosm of what you can do to connect with your teenager. And you probably have ways that you do this already. It's just kind of to bring to mind and notice what you do that works for connection. So first, I want to just get into a little bit about um, ways I think about connection that have helped me understand it better and understand the importance of it. And so the first way I've probably said in a previous podcast, but it's just thinking in, in, in very simplistic terms. So just thinking about a telephone connection. So if you're trying to talk to somebody and your uh, call is not connected, then no messages are getting through. It's really as simple as that. So if your teen is not connected to you or any relationship that you have, the person is not, doesn't have a connection with you, then they're not really listening to you you're not really listening to them. The quality of your relationship is going to be worse, just as if your phone call is not connected or it's cutting out or shorting out or there's, you know, drops in the in the call. The quality of your call is just going to be worse. Very simplistic way of looking at it, but to me, I find simple messages resonate with me the most. The other way to look at connection is from Dr. Becky Kennedy and her book called Good Inside. If you don't have that book or haven't read it, I would highly recommend that. It's more focused on younger kids, but definitely applies to teenagers as well. And she speaks about the idea of connection capital. And so... In other words, kind of like the amount of connection stored up like in a bank account. And so you build it up over time and then you spend it. So you like kind of spend this connection capital when you're asking kids or teens to do things that they don't really want to do. But if you're connected with them, you have more connection capital. You have more kind of money or assets to work with when you have them do these things. So... The idea of that and why I love it so much is that it's like saving over time. It's small deposits made into this bank account over time. And why I like that is because instead of thinking of building connection as through grand gestures and things that involve lots of money, or I need to take my kids on a giant trip to Disney World, or I need to take my kids there, it's not that, that is so important. It's the small little things that are done in a consistent sort of focused effort over time. And the ways that we build connection with our children and our teenagers that we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes, but it is so effective and, and valuable. So you may uh, realize in the list I'm going to present to you, these are things you do already naturally. And you can notice those as things that are actually building connection. And maybe you use the list to just expand what you're doing and kind of make a more focused and consistent effort on doing these things that are possibly working already. And the other thing that Dr. Kennedy mentions is that as parents, we really need to take the lead on building connection because it's not something that necessarily teenagers will want to do naturally. They may not seek out these opportunities to build connection. And so as parents, we have to take the lead on this. We have to do more connection building than they're doing. And remember that they still are, you know, our teenagers, our children still need our guidance. Of, of course, we think our children do, but as our Teenagers grow up we and they get into these bigger bodies and they look more like adults. I think sometimes we forget that they still are going through rapid change and they still really need a lot of our support, even though outwardly they might not show it all the time. So just remembering that we need to do that heavy lifting and it's work, but it will pay off as you build these things up over time. And before I get into the list, I'm just also reminded of a story I heard on a talk show once a long time ago about. Um, it was actually about a mom who had passed away from cancer, and the host had asked her daughter what she missed most about her mom, like what were the big moments. And I think everybody sort of expected her daughter to say, "Oh, it was when we went on this big massive vacation," or, you know, they did, they had done a lot of big things in the last year of her life but what her daughter said what it was was it was just an ordinary everyday moment about talking and sharing time late at night over a bowl of cereal and so this was just a simple ordinary moment that she had remembered the most and that had a big impact so building connection it takes time and it takes consistent effort but it's It's small efforts that are done frequently that give us the most change in our lives. So when you're thinking about it, you don't have to think about going big in a big way. Think about the small things. And also don't be perfectionist about this. If you hear this list and you think, oh, I have to do, it's overwhelming. I have to do everything on that list. You certainly don't. You don't have to do anything on this list. You can think of your own things that work with you. I have uh, two boys. And so this is the, it may not, it doesn't necessarily matter that they're boys or girls, but this is the lens from which I view the world. I have two sons. And um, so that's sort of where my, focus was when I was making the list. And just if you want, pick one thing and just try it and see if it works. And, you know, just pay attention to the things that have your kids sitting with you more, moving closer towards spending time with you, as opposed to things that have them sort of backing away from you or walking away from you. That's how you can tell the difference between connection and disconnection. Like I can see very clearly in my interactions with my sons when I have connected with them, but I can also see and notice the many times when I have disconnected from them. And that usually happens when I'm yelling at them, lecturing, when I've had like a fear response and I've really um, had something that I so disagreed with them that I had to yell to make sure they got my point and they disconnected from me in that moment. And I can I can see it because they walked away, they shut down, I could tell they weren't listening anymore. So without further ado, I'm just going to dive into 10 ways to connect with your teen, just from my bu- viewpoint. So the first one I have is be excited to see them or have your eyes light up kind of when they come in the room. That was another thing I heard one time that made a huge impact on me and my parenting is that um, somebody had said on a talk show once, it was probably the Oprah show because I watched a lot of Oprah. um, Do your, when you're thinking about your kids, when they come into the room, do your eyes light up? Do you stop what you're doing and pay attention to them when they walk in the door? And I know um, that has made me stop and think about that, that when I'm on my phone, I don't always do it, but when if I'm on my phone or if I'm watching a show and my sons walk in the room, I try to remember, okay, I'm going to pause this right now because if they're going to talk to me, I'm going to be ready for it. I don't want to miss this because sometimes the moments are few and far between. So be excited to see them. That's number one. These are in no particular order. I'm not assigning any importance to them. I'm just giving them to you as a list of one to 10. The other one, next one, number two, simple one, watch a movie or a show with them that they like, or that you can agree on that maybe you both like. And you don't even have to both like it. It can be interesting to find out what they're watching and have a conversation about that. So I know for myself and my older son, he would always just noticeably many, many times always just want to watch a movie with me. Hey, mom, do you want to watch a movie with me? And I'd, be thinking, oh, this isn't really a big deal. But I noticed he would say it over and over again. And he was really just like doing that, just like sitting there and watching a movie with me. So I came to be like thinking to myself, oh, okay, this is, this is cool that he wants to watch a movie with his mom. And number three, so this is more about technology. So Joining them when they're at where they're at with technology. You may not be able to come become friends with them on Facebook. Not that they're on Facebook. That's for older people, I'm told. Um, but maybe text them something that you thought they would find funny, or just text them to see how they're doing, or text them something that you thought they did really well at um, the and the part about them something that you think they did really well at is brings to mind. That negativity bias is that when we hear something negative, it will erase the, you know, the 10 things that were positive that day because we will notice that one negative thing. So it works that way for every person. And the more kids and teenagers hear about the things that you think are great about them, then you, you kind of have to pay attention to making an effort to do that more than pointing out the things that you think they're going wrong with, so texting them something could be could be anything. Um, number four is just smile at them, like when you see them, smile at them more. They are looking for that positive. Reinforcement, they're looking for acceptance. Sometimes they're in a phase where they don't feel accepted, and you really do want them to feel accepted and like their presence at home matters. And it does, but sometimes we forget to show that or demonstrate how much their presence is appreciated. And even if they look grumpy and you smile at them and then you get a bit of a smile, that, hey, I think that's a win. Number five this is one I've talked about before is apologize when you've messed up. And I think this is a huge connection builder because it shows that you are willing to go back and repair connection, repair broken connection. So if you have a situation where you have flipped your lid, yelled, done something you wish you hadn't or reacted in a way you wish you had done differently, it doesn't mean that you still don't have something to say about what they've done, but maybe the way you went about saying it to them wasn't the best way. And if you go back and apologize, this is like, I would say a double connection builder because they get to see you apologizing and you coming back. And it means so much when you will say and own up to something that you've messed up on and oftentimes parents would be resistant to this because we don't want our kids to think we are like less than superhuman we want them to think they we want them to think that we know everything and we have all the answers and that we're you know the strong one that doesn't mess up but if we apologize and we show that we're actually human it allows for their humanness which is so important in their emotional lives. So it's okay to mess up and apologize. All right, number six. So when they have strong emotions, let them have them without trying to fix the emotions. So say they've gone through a major breakup. Say they are angry about something that went on at school. These kinds of things, or you can insert any situation into here, what which would cause them to have a strong emotion. As parents, our first instinct, because usually we're afraid, is to try and fix the problem. We want their emotions to go away because it's better for us if they're happy and doing well. If they're not, then it must mean somehow, and I know this is how I think of it, somehow if they're not doing well, something's gone wrong in their life. It means we've screwed up as a parent. They're not going to ever get over this, but it's just simply not true. It's the fact of the matter that they're going to go through things that cause them strong emotions, just as if we think about our own lives, we go through things that cause us strong emotions. And if somebody just says to us, oh, just don't worry about it, or y- y- "Get over," it. here's how to get over it. Here's how to get through it super quick. You know, we, that doesn't work. Like, have you ever been so upset and then somebody said, calm down? And you just wanted to like bite their head off because it just doesn't work for somebody just to say, calm down without allowing you to have your own feelings without those being taken from you. So allow their emotions to be there and just be with them. So you can see how a lot of these things require some strength in, a, in order to not say and react and respond to these things, or sorry, say, not react, but respond in a better way. And the less you say almost is better. If you can get good at saying less with your teenager, that's a very good skill to have. Okay. So the other one, so next I'm looking at number seven is just learning to listen. This kind of goes with the previous one, but when they talk about something, even if you don't, Agree with it, just listen and be curious about what's going on. So maybe it's like a political issue, maybe it's um, a video or they talk about some YouTuber they're watching and you really agree- disagree with what they're watching. Just listen and be curious and try to find out why they think this way, why they agree with this person, why they don't agree with it. Like, really take the effort to have some curiosity about what they're saying. Okay. Number eight, go watch their, their sports games or anything they're doing, even if it doesn't interest you at all. Um, your interest really isn't a prerequisite for, you know, what your kids are doing. Like if it doesn't matter really if you don't like hockey or you don't like whatever they're doing, they're interested in it. And you're interested in it because you're interested in them and what they're doing as human beings. So if you've ever had that thought, like, well, I don't really like this sport, so I'm not going to watch it. It's not about the sport itself. It's about what they're doing and the fact that you can understand what's going on in their, in their world. Okay. So if they let you watch their sports games, or even if they don't, maybe just show up anyways and just say, I just wanted to come and watch you and see what you're doing and see how that goes. Um, number nine. So this is from, uh, something that I learned in as like um, my, I had, sorry, my day job is as a healthcare professional. And, uh, we learn about health behavior change and what to do when you want to get somebody to adopt a certain healthy habit or quit smoking, for example. So, cause I'm a respiratory therapist and with that, training there is something it's part of uh, a model of, of training for this health behavior change anyways what it really is it's called resisting the writing reflex so we always want to especially as parents of teenagers is to tell our children well what the right thing to do is in this situation or this is this is what you should do we want to make them wrong right away and it's, it's a reflex. I, I see it in myself. It's such a strong reflex. I always want to quickly word vomit on my children all of the important things that I know about life and all the life lessons. And that comes out as something that's not usually well received. So resisting that urge to always show that you are right and that you know everything and that they don't have any answers. So in this case, it would just look something like what like asking them, what do they think and what do they want to do in this situation? If they come up with the answers themselves, you might be really surprised at the amazing wisdom and knowledge that they have about what they think might work in a certain situation that they're having, instead of you just offering up everything you think they should do. Because usually they're just looking for a sounding board. They're looking for somebody who's just going to listen to what they're saying and maybe give them a little bit of perspective. So allow them to come up with their own answers because those are the ones that are going to be the most valuable and they already are bought in then. If they've come up with a solution themselves instead of it just being handed to them, then they're more likely to use that solution and to have confidence and belief that that solution will work for them. Okay, and number 10 is really a simple one too, is do an activity with them that they enjoy, even if you don't enjoy doing it. So my example is I don't really love board games, but my son loves board games. So I will sometimes relent and play board games with him. I don't always love doing this, but if it's a way to connect, I am all in for that. If it's something like even if you like it, like I like cooking, so I will try to get my teenagers to cook something with me. Or at least if I'm cooking something for them, I will say, well, I'll cook this for you, but I just need you to sit here at the counter and talk to me while I'm cooking it. And often if you kind of use food as... (laughs) as a way to get them to stick around, it works. You'd be surprised. So they'll just sit at the counter and just have a conversation about whatever comes up. They're they're watching you cook. You've got their attention for a bit. And anything like that is worthwhile. So those are the 10 I have for you. And often when I look at these lists, I sort of think they're kind of simple and underwhelming. But like I talked about before, they don't have to be these big grand gestures. So just know that it is the simple things that you do every day that make such an impact over time. And it's like building little by little the connection capital in the bank account. So thank you, Dr. Becky Kennedy for giving us that golden nugget. So I'm just going to recap. Number one, be excited to see them. Number two, watch a movie or a show with them. Number three, text them something you thought they would find funny. text them anything. Uh, Number four, smile at them as much as you can. Number five, apologize. And that's called connection repair. Uh, Number six is when they have strong emotions, let them have them. Number seven is just listening and listening more and saying less. Number eight, go watch one of their sports games or whatever they're doing uh, and just be interested in it. Be curious about what they're doing. Number nine is resist the writing reflex. Let them come up with their own solutions to some problems. Number 10 is just do an activity with them that they enjoy, even if you don't. And if you do enjoy it, that's just a bonus. You've found an activity that you can do together that you both enjoy. So I hope this was super helpful. And just remember, just pick one thing that resonates with you. And I'd love to hear from you if you see the various ways to connect with me in the show notes. If you send me a message about things that you do that improve your connection with your teenager or with your child, I'd love to hear that from you. So next week, I am going to talk about the neuroscience, because I think of myself as a little bit woo-woo, and, and I love to bring that together with some neuroscience as well. And so the neuroscience of flipping your lid with your teen. So why we do this? What happens? I hope you'll join me for that. And I promise that it will give you some value as well, not just why we do it and what happens, but what happens or what we can do when we have done this. So thank you for listening, take care, and I will talk to you next week.